Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inclusion Crusade podcast on the HR Happy Hour Network. I am your host, Sarah Morgan, and I am excited to have with me in the guest chair today, Charlie Pleasant, LSCW. Did I get the initials right? LCSW. LCSW. <laughs> I switched them around. So, Charlie, thank you for coming in and meeting with me today and Thank tell the listeners me. about yourself and about the work that you do. Okay. Well, Thank you, Sarah, for having me, and thank you to the Inclusion Crusade podcast for um, allowing this interview to take place. So my name is Charlie Pleasant. I am a licensed clinical social worker, um, both in the state of North Carolina and in Virginia, but I'm primarily practicing in Virginia right now. I am a level one IFS trained therapist. That's my therapeutic orientation that I use um, when I'm working with clients, and I primarily work with women. Um, who are looking to improve their emotional and mental health and well-being. Um, more specifically, I work um, I work with all gamuts of clients, but my specialty is working with African-American women. Um, that is the niche in the work that I do. So I'm up here. I am in Virginia practicing. Uh, things have been amazingly, ridiculously busy um, for all the I don't want to say the wrong reasons, um, but for all the reasons that are happening in the world, people are saying and paying, giving more um, priority to mental health and wellness at this time because a lot of things, um, as you know, in 2020 were taken away, not taken away per se, but they were, um, we didn't have access mm -hmm. to a lot of things that we typically enjoy doing. So what a lot of a lot of individuals eventually um, found out is that we're forced to sit with ourselves at the end of the day when all things move go away. Yeah. And so that um and that's the case for a lot of people is that it's like I don't have this, I don't have this distraction, I don't have this thing that I can get into. So now I really have to force, you know, I have I'm forced to sit with myself in the things that come up for me. So we have been working supporting people I've been a licensed therapist uh, for almost nine years now. God, I can't believe it's been nine years. Um, been uh, a licensed therapist for almost nine years, but um, in 2020 is when it kicked into gear. Um, so that's that's pretty much what I do here. Um, I'm also doing a lot of consulting with um, companies and organizations. Um, as you guys didn't hear, Sarah and I were having a conversation about um, just the mental and emotional wellness of people coming back to work um, mm -hmm. once these states are lifting restrictions, which is a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm having organizations bring me in um, virtually at this time to talk about how can they best support their staff and how to best support themselves. We're not going to act like leadership aren't humans as well too. Yeah, They've experienced yeah, the yeah. pandemic just like we have, um, just like their employees have. So I do a lot of consulting work as well too. So um, I'm sure sh um, Sarah shared my information in the show notes, but if you're interested in connecting with me in that way as well too, um, the information will be linked in there as well too. But we are here working and, and supporting people as best we can throughout this whole new ordeal. 
Yes. And you were with me last year on my other show, Leading in Color, yes. talking about um, how people can practice self-care habits yes. during the pandemic. And it was such a popular and powerful episode as part of my Reopening After Rona um, series last year. So I will link that in the show notes because that advice is absolutely evergreen. And I definitely think that the listeners can benefit from hearing your advice from that perspective as well about what we can do. And, and the advice that you gave in that episode has been personally so helpful to me in making sure that I'm making my self-care a priority. And I talk about that in the most recent episode, um, premiering my, my third season okay. over at Leading in Color, just talking about me taking a big old pause on- yes business and other things last year because I just reached the point where I was like nope this you know my health and my my mental well-being is just at a place where I cannot you know continue to to keep this pace with yeah. everything else I had going on and I remember you talking about our our the way that our physiologically our bodies respond and react mm -hmm. to what's going on in the pandemic and and that your body knows the world ain't right. And so it is in the, your fight flight fawn yep. mm -hmm. responses are on high alert. Mm -hmm. And we've been in that state for a really long time and what coming out of that is going to do to us. So excellent episode, you all, I'm going to link that in the show notes so you can check it out. But I want to jump right into talking okay. about where we are today. Here we okay. are a year and a few weeks or so into this pandemic um specifically last summer we saw a significant uprising following George Floyd's murder now we here we are a year later and his primary killer has been found guilty and will be sentenced soon um how did you cope with the verdict and what were you seeing from your clients and from your colleagues when that happened so interestingly, interesting enough, so you mentioned at the, like, just talking about self-care. So a big part of my self-care practice is tuning, not tuning out, but just making sure that I'm not plugged into things that are going on in the media. Like I knew what was going on with the murder of George Floyd and, you know, the, the person, Derek Chauvin, that, that was responsible mm -hmm. um, for his murder. I, I was very much aware of, of everything that was happening with that. I did not watch the trial. Me I think, yeah. I think Black America has had their hearts broken more times than enough when it comes to situations like this that I think for a lot of my clients, you were asking the questions, how did a lot of people, um, my colleagues or my clients respond to this? They were kind of um, reserved. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say disinterested, but very disconnected from it because there's a part of that disconnection that's part of self-care. Yeah. I have to disconnect from this because we've seen this pattern collectively of law enforcement not being held responsible or accountable with any type of um, um, penalty and the devastation that that causes for communities, whether it's Black communities, whether it's um, Latino communities, whether it's Asian communities, whatever these communities are that's impacted by this, there's a part of despondency that takes place. That's part of self-care. Mm -hmm. And a lot, and, and it's really interesting. You, it, it's 
it's almost very counterintuitive of how we think about that in our field. But that's one of the questions that uh, we talked about, or I was talking about with colleagues, is about um, coping strategies throughout all of this. So the coping yeah. strategies that we would typically, like pre-COVID, that we would typically talk to clients about as far as disconnection, despondency, disassociation, um, those are things that you're wanting to get away from with the sake of saying, let's put in some healthier coping strategies. Now, now we had to, we've had to come back to the board to say, okay, so if we're gonna look at disassociation or despondency or disconnection, there has to be an awareness of how you're using the tool. So we have to put this tool back in the box as a form of self-care. And a mm -hmm. lot of my clients had to do that. I have even had to do that. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's, not, it's a disconnection, disconnecting from all of that with the understanding that I'm aware of it. I know what's going on and I'm choosing not to participate in it, in it emotionally. Yeah. So that's that's been the biggest response for a lot of clients. So when the verdict came, I think that there, I think it was, people were surprised. Yeah. More, I, I think that that's been, even in my network and just, you know, people that I, would talk, um, I was talking to about it, people were very surprised that this actually came down the way that it came down with guilty on all three charges. And there's been some, um, there's been some, I mean, it doesn't take too far to go on Twitter or any type of social media to talk about what that means for, you know, what, what's the implications of this type of um, this type of um, this type of verdict um, as a you know as a preservation for law enforcement? I mean, it, it's plenty of stuff that's going on, and as far as this conversation is concerned, I was just really surprised that it happened. Um, I felt relieved for those who chose bravely to enter into a pandemic when the virus was at its most active peak mm -hmm. to hit the streets and to say absolutely not so I think those that risk their lives not only with what have might have come up with any type of protests and we know how protests can normally go in different communities mm -hmm. but those that risk their lives and put their livelihood on the line to protest this injustice and could have been injured possibly injured in those things at the intersection also of a deadly virus that can kill you as well too. Yeah. So I feel like that they just, that those people that that participated in that kind of way in the streets um, and, and everybody had a lane in this, whether you were doing it in the streets, I did most of my advocacy work virtually by way of the Healing Collective and mm -hmm. hosting those series throughout the time. Um, but we, we needed that. We deserve that because we had to put aside just how much our lives were shifting to take care of a, to let a family in a community know that the world cared about what was happening or what happened to their loved one mm -hmm. that was murdered. So that, so I felt like that was needed in that way. On the heels of that was four different murders. There was a murder of a black person that took place the day before the verdict that was read. Yep. There was a murder on the day that the verdict that was that was read. Yep. There were some murders the day after that verdict was read. Yep. So here we are back into it. Mm -hmm. Right? Back into it. The, the most um I, oh I can't call his name right now, but the young the young man um in many um in Minnesota that in Minneapolis that lost his life. Yeah. Yeah. With all of this going on, there was still law enforcement that thought that it was appropriate to take another life. Yeah. 
in the same state. In the same state. In the, in the in, same in the city. Community not very far away. And, yeah. and the, with the community not being that far, that very far away from it. So that's the that's the the jilting of not being able to. I don't want to say relish in the moment, but just yeah. be able to sit with the moment of having some type of justice carried out yeah. before you're back at it. Yeah, yeah. There was barely. To- I know the Micaiah Bryant was within thirty minutes. Yeah, and I read an article about her that said she watched the verdict. And then the doorbell rang and her attack began. So within minutes of seeing that happen, like how, just how awful, you know, was that for her young life to be, to it just from one moment to the next. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, you, you have that moment of release with the relief that we felt that the jury got it right this time because there's been so many times where we've watched and these juries have got it wrong if it ever yeah. even makes it to a trial yeah a jury to make a decision um and so it it did feel good for that moment um and there definitely was just like a, a sigh of mm-hmm. just like a, you know just a, a little moment where that adrenaline that you've been holding on to came down Mm-hmm. just a little bit and then whoop you know right back right up. back up we're dealing with his the brother's name is Dante Wright I yes just, it just came to me but just having to deal with Dante Wright having to deal with the young 13 year old in Chicago then having to deal with um <clears throat> uh, Micaiah Bryant as well too yeah and um it was a bit much yeah it was yeah. a bit much to watch the dominoes fall just that fast back to back after um after having that verdict um, come down. And I think it's really interesting to even nuance this just a little bit more because when you going back to your point that you mentioned earlier um, in talking about the the sympathetic nervous system that kicks in mm-hmm. when everything in the environment isn't right, your body definitely knows that your body's created to protect you. Um, whereas the, the murder, that being at the intersection of the, the murders that are happening of these young black and brown kids and young adults, Mm-hmm. Um, there are some in the community who are in a process of down-regulating, and then there are some that are st- still continually, continuing to upregulate. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, a little bit about the distinction with that. So the the down-regulation that you're talking about um, is 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 what we're seeing the majority of people who are not black or brown experience. We got mm-hmm. the vaccine. We have, um, we're ready to lift these restrictions from these organizations and these places of work. Not to say that they have not been impacted by the uprisings that have taken place, but they, that they, they, it's different when you belong to that community, to group. which mm-hmm. to the group, to the to that particular group. So whereas that group that's watching it that that are adjacent to the uprisings mm-hmm. are beginning to downregulate. The groups that are part of the membership of the folks that are that are being murdered are continuing to upregulate. So there's their sympathetic nervous system is not coming down. Mm-hmm. Right. We talk about this when it comes and we don't call it the sympathetic nervous system and those sorts of things. But I've, I've read studies because I do quite a bit of research in, in my consulting work about the impact of microaggressions. Mm-hmm. And so in the world of microaggressions is more called like hypervigilance. 
mm-hmm. where you get consistently microaggressed. And so you're on constant guard yep. for what it is that's coming. And so when you talk about the upregulating, it reminded me very much of the way that we talk about workplace microaggressions and the hypervigilance that comes out of that from people being so accustomed to being microaggressed in their workplace that they're just Mm -hmm. constantly on guard to the Mm -hmm. point where I don't even know if I can trust what you're saying means what you say Mm -hmm. because I've heard so many crazy Mm -hmm. things before that I'm over processing um, what it is that I'm supposed to react and it's the same thing when we're dealing with these issues of, of police brutality and just um, privilege gone gone amok. Yeah, yeah. In times of racism and and just the way that people use the police, weaponize it against yeah. people of color um, yeah. for doing normal things, yeah. and how those how the weaponizing of that then turns into violence mm-hmm. that often, far too often, leads to death. Leads to death. Right. Yeah. Right. And then we go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, and then we also saw when George Floyd's murder originally happened, there were a lot of companies that issued statements at that time recommitting to diversity and inclusion. And yet we see some of these same companies a year later um, not doing a whole lot to follow through on that. Mm -hmm. And when the verdict came out, not necessarily um, saying anything about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and why do you think that was? Is it because it's that adjacent community that may not necessarily be, not necessarily, but who is not as impacted by these things as, as those of us who are a part of the communities going through that? I think that, that we could sit here and have conjecture about that all day. Mm-hmm. Like that there's there's no way to absolutely know what goes into the decision making to continue um, to take a stand or, or a company's decision making and continuing to take a stand um, in regards to social justice, social justice, mm-hmm. um, social advocacy, uprisings, different things like that. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard to say why they would not speak on the verdict. Um, or maybe offer something towards that. My position has been, if you start a thing, let's continue to see it through. Right. So if you're really serious about standing with your associates and your employees um, that that are emotionally and may personally be impacted by a lot of the um, civil unrest, the 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 state-sanctioned murders, the um, the injustices, and you start out with a statement, continue to follow through because mm-hmm. this is also part of how you choose to bring your co- your 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 associates or your colleagues or your employees back into the office safely. Yeah, that's not that's not absent of what it means to return safely. A lot of people are just focused on how are we COVID safe, Mm -hmm. but how are we also emotionally safe? Or how are you working on being, um, setting up an environment where your employees can tend to feel emotionally safe and supported when there's issues that pertains to them or their community? Yeah. 
that's all part of the reopen. It, and all of that stuff, This the latter part should have always been in place, but we know DEI work has been very interesting in, in a lot of organizations. Um, but 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 as we are as we stand in all of this now, it's not just how do how do I wrap how do we wrap ourselves around returning employees safely from COVID? How do we return our employees safely emotionally? Looking at painting the entire picture mm-hmm. of what's actually taking place, especially if we started out in 2020 with a statement: How are we keeping our commitment? Yeah. And our integrity, that's, and that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. It's 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 about integrity, right? Mm-hmm. How do we keep our integrity integrity intact when we said that these things are important, or Black Lives Matter, or these communities are important, these issues are important to us? How do we not? How how are we now following up to say we've seen the verdict, we've seen justice? And we've also seen maybe the four other murders that we've talked about. So we still have to stay in the vein mm-hmm. of saying that these things are important to our organization. Yeah. But I can't tell you why they won't say it. But I will say, if you start a good thing, see it through. Yeah. And, 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 and if, if you started it and you have not followed up with it, then I'm going to invite you to question your motivation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is it a motivation that's really clear about, or and, and not question it, but just interrogate it. Be curious about it. Mm-hmm. That's my therapy work. That's my therapy head at this point. <laughs> Be very curious about the part that comes up that 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 released responsibility from this. Mm-hmm. Was it was it a part that was scared that um of that I wasn't going to get the 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 right feedback or that we would be looked at the wrong way or um what others might say about our organization depending upon what organization you are because I'm sure you know people are looking across the board to see who's doing what Mm -hmm. but then if that's if those are the things that come up for you that's not necessarily about the about the issue that's about you Mm -hmm. and those are the things that we have to begin to look at individually and and when I say you as a corporation we're talking about you as the actual entity the identity of the of of the organization so be be really curious about what came up that I've now may have started out in 2020 on board with this but we're not here anymore Mm -hmm. what got in the way what did focus, here we go, a better question is, what, do, what What has focusing on marginalized populations, their conditions, and, and, and let me rephrase that because it's not their conditions, marginalized populations are put in the margins based on a certain set of external conditions that put mm-hmm. them there. So I want to be really clear about that. But what, is it been, what has it been for you as an organization to see the conditions and possibly the participation by the majority of the of um, of power holders mm-hmm. in our community, and how and did I see myself in that? Yeah. With, am I too it. am I too afraid to get too close to it again because I begin to see some things about myself about myself that I don't necessarily right. like and that right. I don't believe was there? Absolutely. And Absolutely. I would encourage that when that happens. That's the space that you need to sit in the long. That's that's the best. That's the juicy space. Yeah, that's the space when you can begin to really turn that thing around. Mm -hmm. And so, if you if you're 
brave enough to look at yourself that honestly and that open in in that way to be that open and you really do want to show up as a person that's adjacent to a community and be of support and be a, a to be a game changer in this that game changing piece comes when you see how you participated mm-hmm. and you're able to sit with that and face that and then work from that space yeah and mm-hmm. i think for organizations who made those commitments and then didn't follow through or didn't follow through consistently, then once you do those things that you've recommended and you do sit with it, you got to be honest with the people that Mm. you're come when you come back to them. Yeah. You have to be honest with them about how and why you dropped the ball. Because if you just make a statement last year and then you don't say nothing or do nothing in the in-between. And then here you come with another statement. People will see right through that. That's the one thing about with people with marginalized identities, our BS meters have to be strong. They some of the best. (laughs) Got to be strong because there are so many people out there trying to take advantage of us absolutely um and and trying to mistreat us on the low and so forth that we have to be looking for the angle and so real gonna recognize real in that circumstance and if you're not really about it we're gonna see that and that and we're not going to respond favorably to it and it will hurt your organization more Mm -hmm. than if you just never said anything at all Because because now you playing with it that's it and I'm mad because you play because this is my life and you're playing and not only that you're playing in our face with it Mm -hmm. and at the same time what it also sends a message of the inaction um sends a message that we want your talent Mm -hmm. that can advance my company but we don't want the stuff that comes along with the person the rest of it right with the person who holds the talent and that's a song about its oldest time, mm-hmm. right? When it comes to marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. For sure. We want, we want what you can produce. Yeah. But we don't want much else. Much else. And everything else, we don't even, we don't, you're completely dis- unhumanized at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Dehumanized is the word. De- you're completely yeah. dehumanized at that point. You are just a, a vessel for productivity. That's um, it. And then, and that's it. And that people should never feel that way in their workplace, no matter what their identity is. People should never feel that way in their, they shouldn't feel that way in any place. In any place. Put a period there. Yeah. But we talking about work um, here on this podcast, and that's definitely not something that they should ever feel in their workplace. Um, So in the rest of our time together, I want to keep talking about the pandemic because we're seeing, you and I were just talking in pre-show as this is is being published, North Carolina has removed their restrictions. Um, We've seen similar things, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Virginia, now where you are is is making the rumblings that they'll be in the same way within a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And so um, what should companies be looking for to support the health mental health and wellness of their employees as these restrictions lessen as things open back up because you and I have talked a lot about again that 
that adrenaline that's been pumping in us because we know that the world is not right and we are responding to that with with that increase in in our fight or flight uh instincts and Mm -hmm. so now we're coming down off of that that's going to have an impact on how we how we move through the world um Mm -hmm. it's just like if you anytime that you have a crash of adrenaline we all know what that feels like so that so to to, and and you went right into the first immediate answer that i was going to share with you look for exhaustion Mm. Yeah. Look for exhaustion. Um, as as to, to your point, Sarah, of coming down from adrenaline in any situation, people get tired. Mm-hmm. People get sick. Mm-hmm. Like can maybe catch a very common cold because their immune system has been suppressed mm-hmm. because of the stress. So once everything starts to level out a little bit, I wouldn't be surprised if you see just utter fatigue. Yeah. yeah. Utter fatigue. Definitely something, definitely a lot of anxiety that um a lot of employees are going to be um co- returning to the workplace with. There's a lot of variables that people can't control when it comes to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of variables. If microaggressions were already a part of your org- organization's culture, trust that it will be a height a more heightened sense of that now mm-hmm. um given the state of again we're back at the intersection of the pandemic and civil unrest mm-hmm. all of that's going to play out in the workplace yeah that's tough so what do companies do because there are companies who see this lessening of restrictions is the opportunity to bring everyone back together mm-hmm. and for the most part we view that as good you know mm-hmm. everybody been in a house for a year I got co-workers that I haven't seen in person you know mm-hmm. in in over a year and the thought of spending time in their physical presence like there's an excitement mm-hmm. around that mm-hmm. um but then there's also a disruption because I am in the the routine of working at home Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I have been you know I'm washing my hands everywhere I go I gotta make sure I have masks I'm double masking like I got all of this going on and now suddenly all of that's gone my my adrenaline is coming down as all of my nervous system things start to settle out Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. what do I do as a company who because there are some companies that are very committed to the idea of having everybody come back in the office and returning mm-hmm. to life as it was before the pandemic. There are mm-hmm. also a lot out there who are trying looking, who recognize that we can't just go back to how we were. The world is different now and we have to find new ways of working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the latter is better than the former, mm-hmm. but still in most of those cases, it, it, for most people, it means now working outside of their homes again. Mm-hmm. What does that process need to look like to make sure that people are mentally supported as we go through the the back half of this pandemic and all that that entails? There is no literature that speaks to any of this because it's so random because we're we're learning it on the fly right now. Mm -hmm. Right. So so the best place that I've been looking is to see how how companies have done things internationally. Mm -hmm. Um, It is what it is. Uh, the U.S. has not had the best response 
to managing COVID or anything, right? Um, <laughs> there are some other other nations and other countries that have done a lot more a, a lot more to ensure that the numbers go down, that people um, be, um, be safe as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I've been seeing for two things that keep coming up, and what I've seen with um, CEOs that are talking about this is that flexibility is key. Mm-hmm. You got to be flexible with your employees. Um, and, and understanding that there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all in the return. Now, I think that there's some foundational protocols and different things that organizations can put into place about what they expect of their employees, like the six feet or so of social distancing. Mm-hmm. Even if North Carolina has restrict, um, lifted the mask mandate, if your organization is a private organization, you can still set into place mm-hmm. that this is part of our culture or... What, what would that look like for other organizations to do so as well? There might not be private organizations. There might be state-ran organizations um, like your, you know, your VDOTs and your, you know, Department of Secretary right. of State in North Carolina and different things like that. Um, those people, the, the, if, if that's coming specifically for the state, then as a state agency, they can very well say it was lifted by the state. And we are a state agency, so we're going the way of that. So if that's it, so if you're going the way of how the state is doing this, how does that protect your employees? Mm-hmm. How do, how do you still keep your employees in mind? So flexibility is going to be very key, but also having a reopening plan and what that look like, what that looks like is going to vary for each employee. I mean, for each organization. Yeah. Um, and the second thing that I've that I've been reading. And that I've been just the trend that I've been noting is hybrid working is here to stay. Mm-hmm. Hybrid working is here to stay. And I have been of the since I've I've been I've also been working at home and seeing clients remotely as well, too. But the favor is going to go to the corporations and the organizations that can remain flexible and that accept that hybrid working is staying because what's going to happen is what what I'm hearing is that organizations are very afraid or very concerned about their employees not coming back to work and they're concerned about other people dipping into their talent pool yeah that's a natural thing that's going to happen because if it's a if if I if I'm here and this is an organization that's wanting me to come in and I absolutely feel very uncomfortable coming into this place, but there's a similar position, if not better position in the state of Illinois that might have something completely different. I'm using that as an example. I'm not sure what their restrictions are. And teleworking or telecommuting or remote working or however we're calling it, the hybrid working, well, more so, you know, tele- telecommuting. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's 100%, then that's where I'm going to take my talent. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's going to, I, I imagine those organizations that are not moving in the way of being flexible are going to see a decrease in the talent that they're able to recruit. Yeah. Yeah, that's facts. Yeah, yeah they're going to see a facts. decrease in that. So, and, and then that's going to be, how does the leadership, you know, now deal with addressing or turning this tide. I think because we've had a year and some change of being able to successfully work from home, kind of like the jig is up. Mm-hmm. You know, like we there is another way. That's what people are coming into the realization of. Mm-hmm. There's always been another way. Mm-hmm. 
to do this. So another organization that another conversation that I would invite organizations to be very curious about is why is it that we want our folks here? Yeah. Outside of stuff that absolutely has to be done in an actual setting, I get those things. And I think that there are ways that you can stagger your staff to make sure everyone's maybe, you know, not in there at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of the flexibility that other other, um, companies are taking. But am I here because I, are we wanting people here because at at our core, and I I don't want to offend any of your organizations that's listening today, but I'm just going to speak as a therapist because we don't leave any rocks unturned. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it because I have an issue of trust? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do I not trust my employees? Is there a part of me that micromanages as hard as we do? Because at my core, I'm having a very difficult time trusting anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are, what, really are, what, what are some of the root causes, root things that are coming up as you're making this decision? Um, it, is there a set of beliefs about how you think people are spending their time at home? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's divide that in half again. Is there a set of beliefs on how you think certain communities are spending their time at home? Yeah. Yeah. Or their time away at the office, away from the office. Away from the office. Do I hold a, set of, a, set, a certain set of beliefs towards a particular community or groups of individuals that leads me to not trust their ability, that leads me to believe that they need to be hmm, overseen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. And here's the other thing that let's say you 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 realize that you don't trust certain individuals. Now you make coming into your office a punishment. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's danger. That's equally dangerous. Yeah. Because what type of like office environment and and you know culture are you going to build? when not being here is something that you get rewarded for when I trust you and being here is a punishment for me not being able to trust you because I I don't see you as being as productive as I expect right well here's the thing the pandemic has only exposed what the culture has already been yeah because the organizations that get it are like cool we're at home Mm -hmm. into the foreseeable future Mm-hmm. That already speaks to the nature of that organization prior to prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. All the pandemic is doing at this point is exposing what was already a part yeah, of the organization. What was already there. Yeah. What was already there. Yeah. And I think organizations really have to think about that. I don't think that we're given enough credence to that need for for flex. This is an opportunity for innovation. Absolutely. you you will miss it and we are so committed to wanting to get back to how we were before that's it that we're we're forfeiting the opportunity for us to to create moment to create something new and better that that will help us to retain talent and differentiate us Mm -hmm. from our competition and those sorts of things and don't give that up just because you think what was happening what was normal before 
is better than right. the potential of what could be. I would right. don't sacrifice that because there there is innovation, there is opportunity for you to lead. There is to lead in ways that haven't been done before. Um, and, and, and it, can, and it, it will make it will make the difference between to, again to your point. It's going to make the difference in the type of talent that your organization your organization retains. Mm-hmm. You you lead. We are at the at the helm of being able to just shift so many things right now. Mm-hmm. Shift the way that the world has worked. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. It's, it is exciting. And I hope to see organizations really embrace this as an opportunity and not be on such a fast track to get everybody back in the building so that we don't miss the opportunity to say, how could this, this way that we've been working for the last year be better than what we had like what ways is this better than what we had before and how can we continue to how can we hold on to some of that because the pandemic is is hard has been hard no doubt but there are absolutely benefits Mm -hmm. to it um Mm -hmm. as well and think people have learned a lot about themselves and about the ways that they work best and so forth and we shouldn't just toss that all away because government mandates don't force us to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We, we should, you know, we should use that as an opportunity. And that's the way that I see all government regulations. Like it's, to me, it's always an opportunity to innovate. Yeah. Government is saying now that we have to do X, Y, Z, a thing. Okay. How do we lean into this and make it, make our organization better? Right. Um, And but instead we rebel and it's such a waste of energy because you got to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, businesses that are able to reopen are going to reopen, but do you have to do it the way that you were or because you may find financial savings, you may find the ability to tap into talent that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to do before. Um, you may find yourself being able to move your business into markets that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to do business in before because of embracing the flexibility mm-hmm. and the creativity that can come out of finding a way um, yep. in the midst of all this change. Absolutely. And I just don't want organizations to miss that moment because yeah. we're not going to get it back. You know, right. once, once you do it and you stand firm in this idea that we're going back to how things were, you can't really unring that bell. No. Um, and you're gonna, you can cause definitely a lot of suffering and unnecessary disruption mm-hmm. to to your business um, at this time if if you're not careful in yeah. terms of how you approach that. So and especially if you're you're not, um, if the return to normal, this 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 thing, this concept of normal, is is really dismissive to a lot of people's experience throughout this entire year and mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing is normal. And nobody is the same. No. And your employees are not the same people that left in March. Those are not the same people that are that are that you are wanting to come back. Yeah. In what is it, May, June, mm-hmm. whenever those as as people keep keep um open reopening things, those people are not the same people. Mm-hmm. Um attunement is going to be really important mm-hmm. for leadership in organizations. To really, you have to really start paying attention to your staff. Yeah. Um, 
again, there's not a one size fit all for any of this because everybody experienced this very differently. So how in tune are you prepared to be to your employee? Mm-hmm. Or will you continue as we've been seeing and reading, I mean, it doesn't, uh, you know, Google is your friend, how companies are prepared to punish or penalize their employees. Mm-hmm. And to cut them loose. Like I've read a lot of things yeah. of, of places that are like, listen, you know, if if the employees are not willing to come back into the office by whatever date we set, we let them go. And to me, I'm like, wow, this is a person who rocked with you through the uncertainty of a whole pandemic. Yeah. And because yeah. now they're having a moment where they need a little bit more time to ease back into what you're asking them to do, you just give up. Like this, a, this is messed up. Your, it is. It is. It's absolutely messed up. And this is a op. This is a time for you to tap into your humanity mm-hmm. when it comes to people. Mm-hmm. People are not machines. As much as we would try to like to make them to be, yeah, they are not. Yeah, for sure. They I, are not. So I appreciate all your advice and I hope that, that everyone will take that to heart. I have one more question. Yeah. You. So here at the Inclusion Crusade, um, I say that I am on a mission to make workplaces more inclusive one episode at a time. That's, mm-hmm. that's my tagline, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is your crusade? What is your one mm-hmm. thing at a time that you feel like you are doing in your work? Oh, that's a great question because I don't have my elevator speech for that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would probably say my crusade as a therapist is not to to solve your problem. Mm. I'm here to help you free up head space and heart space so you can see the best answers and solutions for yourself. Mm. Freeing up head and heart space one client at a time. I love it. I I cannot live your life. Your your journey is your journey. Your walk is your walk. Who you come across and who you meet and who you you interact with. All of those things are your individual journey. I mean, of course, we're all doing it in community as well, Mm. too. But the walk is yours. Yeah. A lot of times what I know, and just even just from my own personal experience of going through therapy as well, too, I am a therapist who sees a therapist, trust me, I'm serious about the work that I do. I just know a lot of times we need the, we need the, debris, the mental and emotional debris cleared up or, or, or not necessarily swept aside to be acknowledged and then put into its proper place so you can continue the journey. That's all that I'm here for. Amen. So I tell my clients that when I have clients that come in, it's just like, I want you to tell me what to do. I say, absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. Because my resources and your resources are different, Mm -hmm. but you already know what the best answer is. We just got to clear through some stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's my crusade as a therapist to help clear up that headspace and that heart space, one client at a time. One at a time. I love it. So you are, I know doing more help so you talked earlier about doing the support and work that you're doing with corporate clients and Mm -hmm. and also with organizations are there um how do 
listeners who want to hear more from you, how do they connect with you? Do you have any events coming up virtually that people can tap into if they want to hear more of what you have to say? Um, I don't have any events that are open events. I do have events that are open with that are with other companies that are coming mm-hmm. up. And I don't think that outsiders can be a part of that, a part of that, that specifically in, in that workshop is catered, you know, specifically for their organization. Yeah. Um, but if you want to get in contact with me, um, I can definitely give you my Twitter, hand, Twitter handle. Y'all, I promise you, I'm in the process of updating my website. This has been a process. Um, updating to- websites uh, is a labor of love. I don't is, think people have full appreciation for how hard that that can be. That was is, probably like a four or five month process. Easy. I'm probably, I'm probably like month three into going back yeah. and forth with the person that's helping me do it. And they've been, oh God, they've been so amazing, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing like new, new shots, new headshots, all that yeah. stuff. So yeah. It is coming. It is coming, but you can always reach out to me, um, via Twitter. Um, I can also give Sarah my email to put in the show notes as well too. If you just want to sh- um, shoot me a quick email. And if you're interested in working with me, let me know. I'll, I'll be happy to come in and see how I can support your organization. So I, I will definitely make sure to link all your social handles in the show notes so okay. folks can connect with you because I know that they are definitely going to want to hear more of what it is that you have to say because the way that you are able to break these topics down and connect it back to the therapeutic process is just something that I can't ever get enough of. And I know that our listeners are, are going to resonate with that as well. So I thank you once again for being a guest on my podcast um, and, and for the all the wisdom nuggets um, that you have dropped on us today. Girl, thank and- you for having me. And I thank you all for listening. Once again, I am Sarah Morgan, and this is the Inclusion Crusade on the HR Happy Hour Network.